Hey everyone, it's Full Contact Cannabis. I am Billy Hale, sitting with the old hemp farmer, Mr. Jarbo. And today we have a topic that, uh, it's our first real topic, because we think it's something you guys might care about out there. Um, I was talking about when I was a kid, my grandpa was a farmer and, uh, out of Texas. And so when I was at his place, he would wake me up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I did not drink coffee, because I was probably 5 years old at the time when all this started. And uh, we would sit around while he drank coffee and listen to the radio, and it would be market prices of cotton. Peanuts were big in our part of the woods, and uh, it would be like peanuts up two cents, cotton down one. And it went on and on and on, and I was like, what is Grandpa listening for? But that brings us to our topic today, market prices. Old hemp farmer here. One of the things that's been a challenge to a lot of people in this market, especially new farmers, is what is my product worth? How, how much is my flour worth if it's grown for flour, smokable? How much is it worth for uh, processing? Also, if I do process it, how, what is the price for crude, distillate, isolate? And that's one of the things there seems to be a real disconnect. Because one of the things that a lot of one of the reasons why a lot of people are getting into the high CBD or high THC cannabis business is this perceived that it has a big margin and you can make a lot of money, which it did. Well, there that's the thing about it is almost all the new emerging markets at first, whether it was high THC in Washington, Oregon, Colorado, California, when the market first opens up. There's a bubble created because there's more demand than there is supply. And then as farmers come on, more and more farmers come on, they get better at farming. There's more and more product that comes on the market. That happened in Washington State, Oregon, Colorado, almost every emerging state that had a recreational market. The same thing now is happening in high CBD. Whereas in five, six years ago, you could get at retail $200 to $250 a gram for a gram of pure CBD or cannabidiol. Well, right now, the prices have plummeted. Two years ago, the spot market for, uh, let's put it this way, 2017, 2018, crude was going from $2,500 up to $5,000 depending on the quality. Distillate was going from seven to eight, maybe as much as ten. Once again, depending on quality, isolate, which started to market out the very first CBD products, a lot of them were isolate products, tumbled at at one point was twenty thousand a kilo. Wow! Spot market, I checked it as of this morning. There are people selling kilos of isolate from anywhere from fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars. Now. There are prices that are lower, but what we're trying to talk about is prices for good quality COA made with the you know all the pharmaceutical standards that you need to. So this is so that prices have tumbled. Last year in June, a spot market for what they call biomass, which is really cannabis flowers or high CBD cannabis flowers, meant for processing was going for $40 a pound. Here in January of 2020, $10 a pound. 
So we have had prices have tumbled. I mean, they have cratered. And this is where a thing seems to be a disconnect with people going into the market. There's a huge amount of people that are going to grow hemp for the first time who still think that it is a seller's market at a seller's price. But how can they think that if they're going to invest this time and this money in a crop? How would they not know what it was worth at the time they invest? Well, because this is the hard thing about it is most commodities, like with your grandfather, there was people who, who commodities, they made a living doing futures, um, options for grain, and that's what they did for a living. And it had been being done for years and years and years. Right now, basically, and this is, I hate to say this, your cannabis, your high CBD cannabis, flour, distillate is worth what the person standing across from it is willing to pay. And it can fluctuate greatly. And that's the thing about it is, since there's not a centralized place which you can sell it, it's very hard for anybody at any time can tell you what prices are. The reason I can tell you prices is because I know people in eight, nine different states that I can call up and I can say, what are you seeing? What was the last price that you heard for flour? What's the last price you heard for crude? And what we're finding out right now is there very well might be a two-year supply of high CBD flour and cannabinoids on the market right now. And it's all because people were told, and, and they were. I, I, I'm a, me and my partner can tell you at least a half dozen times when people sat down with us and told us, quote, unquote, we'll be, be able to buy everything you can make. Right. And they thought they could. Right. Because if you look at projections, like for, you know, Hemp Business Daily or uh, Hemp Connoisseur Magazine, there's a fair publications now that are out there. The projections are, by the year 2025, that this is going to be a 5 to $10 billion industry. So you say, oh my gosh, it's like a, only a $2 billion industry right now. That means it's going to grow by $8 billion, and it very well might. So let me, let me ask you this question. That says to me that we have, uh, what we're missing here is the ingredient of what to put the product into. So the companies that are manufacturing uh, lotions and all the other things that you might sell to, is that what we're waiting on? Well, all right. Part of it is it's just an immature market. Right. And the other thing that kind of made this even more convoluted, and it is convoluted, than it is, is two different things. One, that nobody really knew what other states were planning. Like, it was extremely hard for me to figure out exactly how much actual hemp got planted. I mean, if you look at all the states and you add it up, in year 2019, there was about 250,000 acres of hemp licensed. That didn't mean it was planted. That doesn't right. mean whether it was a successful harvest or, you know, how, what the quality of the material was. So getting an idea about actually how much was out there was extremely hard. And, and this is the other thing, that no one figured 
All right, we'll use Tennessee as a perfect example of a state that went from 250 licensed growers in 2018 to a shade under 4,000 growers in 2019. Literally, we're growing 100 times more hemp than we were growing four years ago. And it took a while for everybody to figure out what was there, what was in barns. Meanwhile, those companies that had gotten out and established were, were selling. I mean, it was crazy. I know companies that increased their sales from 2017 to 2018 600%. So it was hard to, to think, whoa, well, this is 600%. It probably it can go up even more and more. And it's hard to say, oh, no, wait a minute. We kind of need to see if this is going to continue to happen. So you had people that who made $150,000, growing hemp decide, well, I'm going to grow five, ten times more hemp. And instead of making a couple hundred thousand, I'm going to make a couple million. But there's a point of diminishing returns right there. Well, one other thing, and this is the, <clears throat> the truth, depending on whatever agricultural product it is, the American farmer can make any crop worthless. So it doesn't matter whether it's soybeans or corn or whatever. If you have a bumper crop, the price is going to go down. So here it was, a whole bunch of states that came online, some states like Montana, who grew 40,000 acres. 80,000 acres. I, you know, they licensed, I think, 80, 40 actually got planted. So you did this in 30-some states, and all of a sudden you're realizing, oh, my goodness gracious, there are literally millions of pounds of high CBD flour that's sitting in warehouses and bins uh, and barns that that are just sitting there. So when that happened was all of a sudden, like I said, two years ago, where it was a seller's market, all of a sudden it became a buyer's market. And the same thing that happened with the biomass of the flower market also happened in the processing market. Because that's where people were going, oh, and they were. And this is the really horrible thing, is that processors were hearing this too, because the siren song two years ago was, is that the big box stores are going to start selling CBD. Walmart's going to get in and, and Walgreen and Kroger and all this. Thinking that when the new farm bill that was passed in 2018, that all these interstate banking and a bunch of the other things that kept inter interstate commerce kind of at a slower pace didn't go away. I mean, to this point right now, if you have a high CBD business, it's extremely hard for you to have credit card services. And I just read that Colorado has given up on getting approval for 2020, which just, it's exactly what you said. Everyone's in limbo right now, right? We're running by old gray rules. Right. It's, that's the thing about it was, is there was supposed to be clarification with the Farm Act, and no, there wasn't. It was just, basically, if you read through it, and then you get to the last couple pages of it where it had the hemp rules, basically... Any state could do what they wanted. So if Idaho decided they weren't going to let high CBD cannabis come through their state, they didn't have to. And what happened? You started having truckloads of <clears throat> high CBD hemp 
being arrested in Idaho, their crops being impounded, and the truck drivers put in jail. That was my next question. Um, can, if you grow in Tennessee, sell to somebody in Kentucky legally, or does it all depend from state to state? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> my company, I have a company with Lee Crabtree called Tennessee Homegrown, and we have a little model, legal in Tennessee, other states, eh, not so much. So it all depends. And this is, even though it's hemp and everybody thinks it's legal, when it all comes down to it, it's still almost like medical marijuana or recreational. It's what that state decides. You can sell flour legally in Tennessee. You can't in Kentucky. So that, you know, I'm talking to companies about marketing and doing some of the things I do for them. And I market and have marketed for the decade, last decade, on the Internet internationally mostly, but definitely nationally. And so it was pretty mind-blowing to me when everyone I talked to was like, we only want to market like in our area or in the state. And that's when I realized that how limiting what they sell really is. They're limited to the state it, from taking money to selling the product. And therein lies big part of the problem why right. we have a literally a plethora of material is because of these things. Now, some companies are slowly sorting it out state by state. Once again, not to go down too much Tennessee homegrown, but because I know about it, is that we'll get somebody that says, can you sell it to us in the state? We have a lawyer. We'll investigate their state laws. And then if we can transport it there without going through a state that where you know it can get pulled over and impounded, we do business with them. But it's one of those things. But but what it's done, though, is still, even if it's a company in Iowa or Missouri, it's a small company in that state. It's not an interstate company. Right, right. So now what we had was anticipated demand for big box stores. So now you had processors in 2018 that were coming in and were told by a bunch of companies, we will take as much distillate, isolate, or crude as you can make. So you had these companies literally spending millions of dollars to, to bring in people and equipment, and they started processing. Wasn't always the greatest product in the world, but it was product. But the demand never came. So then all of a sudden you started seeing, like I said, what was a few years ago a $20,000 kilo isolate to 18 to 15 to 12 and all down the market whether it was crude distillate or broad spectrum the same thing happened so now what happened was is if you're a pr pr uh, processing facility and you put together your team your equipment under a profit model that had four or five thousand dollar crude and then less than two years later that same Crude is now $800. Now, if you built your profit model on producing that at $1,000 a kilo, which at the time, if you could produce something for $1,000 and sell it for $2,500, any business yeah. anywhere will take that all day long. And so here they were set up, and this is one of the bad things about processing equipment. It's not cheap. And the people that can operate it real well aren't either. 
So now you had these people who had a huge amount of inventory and they had a huge amount of overhead. So what do you do? Do you turn it off? Do you wait? Right? Or do you start dumping prices to have revenue? Especially if you built your facility off of money that you told people that literally in 18 months they were going to get a return of investment. Right. And so here it is. It's 18 months, two years later here, and it's like not only do you have your overhead that's killing you, you also have notes that are due as well. So what do you do? You got uh, 1,000 kilos of crude. Do you hold tight and hope that the market bounces back? Or do you start unloading so you can start paying employees? And that's what's happened. So now we have farms that can't produce hemp for the price that it's selling for. We have processors producing cannabinoids, isolate, uh, and it's costing them more than what they can sell it for. So in this environment, all these people who thought they were, that like these processors were going to be buying huge amounts and stuff, those contracts have been basically they're null and void. I mean, you can sue somebody, but if they don't have any right, money, right. you're just on the list. And this has happened, and I guess I can say this about, uh, and there's a story, and, it, and it's not alleged, but Jen Canna, which was one of the first processors in the state of Kentucky, one of the most well-financed, right now has have had to lay off employees, and they have several companies that have liens, and they're going to probably be forced into bankruptcy. <laughs> Let's bright side it. Because I want to do a layman bright side. Okay. So let's say that we have everything that we've discussed. What we're really missing is the demand for product, which, uh, and stop me at any time, once again, layman here, um, I'm my wife, who is just a normal person, uh, was having sleeping issues and is now using a CBD product that is actually allowing her to get a full night's sleep. So now this young lady has been sold on the concept that this is beneficial for her. I'm also using products now that other things didn't work. So I think maybe we're coming into a time frame where Johnny Public is trusting that uh, this actually will work for them. Do you think that just by public awareness and need that uh, we could then drive more sales of product being produced? I'd like to think that, but no. Right now, we probably have at least two years' supply of high CBD flour sitting there, and we probably have another year's supply of distillate, crude, and isolate. So what do, what, what do people do out there that are listening and sitting on their stuff or wanting to grow a crop? Well, if you're wanting to grow a crop, then you have to think about, do you? and I'm serious about this, are you willing to have a vow of poverty until the market straightens out? Because that's what we're talking about. And this is, and people have to understand this. This is not unique. Any industry that started out that was high profit, whether it was the trains or oil or steel or banking or any other industry, what happens is you have a huge demand for something. Then you have the American people, which are in they, my goodness, we're a wonderful people. We really, really are. Because if we set our mind that we're going to make a bunch of stuff real cheap, we can do it. 
doesn't mean it's necessarily happy, you know, really good for the environment. So this is sad but true. What is going on right now is Darwinian business. And it has to get consolidated and the market has to mature. But if anybody thinks that they're going to come into this market right now from scratch and, and not going to have some major hiccups, then you haven't looked at the market. And I think that's probably part of the reason why we're in, in the where we are right now with an oversaturation of products is that we had people who did not take the time to actually drill down far enough to see what the industry was at that moment. And Billy Hell, that's kind of why we're here, is to be able to talk to people and tell them, look, this is what's going on. It's a wonderful industry, but you have to be totally wide-eyed when you go into it, knowing that, like anything, if you're going to be successful at it, it means a lot of hard work, anxiety, tears, sunburns, and blisters. Now, if after that, you still decide that you want to be in this business, it is a wonderful business. It is. Let's talk about that aspect. Let's, what you would say to somebody new and the best way to enter in the current environment. The first thing I would do is there's lots of ways to get in the high, C, high CBD or high THC cannabis business. Everybody doesn't need to be a farmer. That is probably one of the biggest myths in this industry is if you want to be in the cannabis industry, you have to be out there with dirt underneath your fingernails. And that's not true. I mean, if you look at the totality of the cannabis business, very little has to do with agriculture. Almost all of it has to do with what you do. it, And, and you can think about this, you know, I mean... It would almost be like um, the t-shirt business was all the rage, you know, where people were creating their own designs and selling. It was about the design and, and uh, touching someone for a, a particular reason, but no one was out raising cotton to uh, make right. the shirts and then making shirts at their own factory. Well, I'm, and it's like this. Who makes more money off corn, the farmer or the pe- person making a corn chip? Right. And, that, and that's the thing about it is people... Because right now, I'd say to anybody, anybody who wants to farm, I'm saying this to you, America, if you decided that you want to be a farmer because you think you can grow hemp or high THC cannabis and make a living at it, go out and buy it and try to sell it. Because there's literally, I can, I can find you 40, 50, 60, 80,000 pounds of, of high CBD cannabis right now. So... Here's a perfect example how you can get into the industry and you don't have to grow. That's it. And and it is. It's just like, okay, like any product, there has to be someone who makes the product. There has to be somebody who packages the product. There has to be somebody who distributes the product. There has to be somebody who retails the product. Now, we need people that are designers who design the packages. Marketing? Marketing. And I don't know if we want to go into marketing right now, Billy Hell, because that probably right now is one of the, the last big hurdle that cannabis businesses have to approach. I was told when we were at that event on Saturday in Germantown, I said last year, uh, it was said last year the top three uh, things to do on the list in this industry was grow, grow, grow. Right. And this year it's market, market, market. 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 Right. It is because that's the thing about it is people realize um, 
you know, one of my analogies is cheeseburgers. We are now in the cheeseburger portion of cannabis. Is that there's cheeseburgers everywhere. You can get a dollar cheeseburger. You can get a $12 cheeseburger. But no matter what it is, you now have to have a compelling reason for someone to buy that cheeseburger. And I, I say this with all the love in the world, that high CBD, the industry, is basically an offshoot of high THC. And there is this, for anybody who ever bought high CBD cannabis from a dealer, black market knows there's a dealer's mentality. I got this, I got this. I got it for this price. If you don't like it, somebody else will buy it. And when it was a seller's market, you could get away with that. But now, you got choices. You mean, seriously. I, I, we knew one shop owner who had a little white uh, chalkboard up in the back, and every time a farmer came in to try to sell them flour or products, he would put it up there. After he got to 60 people, he stopped counting. So you have 60 farmers that are coming in there who all tell you their flour is the best flour ever made, grown throughout perpetuity. And then the next guy comes in and says the same thing. How do you get your product differentiated? So now all of a sudden people are having to realize, oh, yeah, I, just because I think it's the best cannabis in the world doesn't mean anybody else is. And I think that brings it back to the marketing and creating the product with transparency of what's in the product and, and uh, really knowing what you're buying. It's about the narrative. Once again, if the story. Right. It doesn't matter. I'll go back to the cheeseburgers. Why is it that I can charge you $12, $13 for that cheeseburger? Well, if I tell you a story about it's locally grown, free range, all done, it's artisanal, whatever, with a bun that was made just this morning. Now, you can justify paying it. But, and let me, let me finish that by saying, and then it works, and it does that thing. Right. That you're really looking to hope to have happen. Right. right. Now, the flip side to that, though, is selling by price. Because it's only, t basically, your narratives are, either I have this consistent quality, or I can get it to you cheaper than anybody that's right. You come in here this week only. We got 15% off on all our products. And if you buy nine, we'll give you that 10th one free. Now, those are the worlds that we're going to. And it's, it's basically, not to get down too far in analogies, it's like craft beer. Right. You know, you can buy Budweiser, or you can buy something called, you know, Long Snout IPA. Yeah, it, it's what you're willing to pay for. But my dad always said, life's too short for cheap liquor. It's true. And, uh, yeah. But So now people are having to come in and justify why their product should be bought over a competitor. Right. And that's the other thing that's now confronting the cannabis industry, which they've never had to do before. Uh, the zero-sum yeah. game. Right. Because from now... It, let's say, okay, now the market is getting saturated. So if that means you're, you're in a saturated market, if you want a customer, you have to take them from somebody. And that's hard. If somebody's like, you know, we, we make products. We have customers who genuinely feel 
that our product gives them a quality of life. They don't, they're not interested in trying somebody else's product. I don't want to toot your horn here, but while you and I were having a discussion on Saturday, a government official swung by to pick up a little bit of your product. I thought that was a great endorsement. It is great. It is. But that's what I'm saying is, so now you have to give a reason why somebody should buy your biomass, your flour, your crude, your isolate or whatever, instead of buying it from company A. And then you got to keep them. Right. And now you've got confronted things like quality control, consistency. consistency. Yeah. Yes. Also quantity. This is the thing about it. It's like I think a lot of people did fall into that trap of we can buy as much as you can grow, not realizing that once you start going from four to five to 20 to 50,000 pounds, that having, just like you said, consistent quality, quality, is hard it is like i see these people on some of these sites looking for a hundred thousand pounds of 15 percent material like you're going to have a hundred thousand pounds of material that's consistently one percentage of cbd on something that grows good right, luck right, right good luck on that so and that's what i'm saying is so now the marketplace is maturing so now there's all these things that have to be considered. And that's what I'm saying is you're asking about somebody sh who wants to start growing. If you want to start growing or you want to get into the industry, that means then you have a bunch of considerations that two or three years ago you wouldn't have had just because of competitive. And think about it. If you think you can get into the business and make a lot of money, I'm sure you weren't the only person that woke up this morning thinking that way. So now you and 40,000 other people, your newfound friends, are now competing, and that's about what there's going to be growing hemp next year or in 2020, or probably about 40,000 people. That basically, in a nice way, want to drown you. But then it comes down to what it always comes down to, being smart, work ethic, being creative, uh, wanting to do the very best that you can do. And when you start adding all that up, yeah, there's a very small percentage out of that. Well, group. but also there's another small thing, and we'll be the first people to admit it. Luck, or whatever you want to call it, being at the right place at the right time. It's now, like the music industry. Yes. You can be. We live in Nashville, Tennessee. Talent literally is on the street that we're sitting on. But you do have to be in the right place at the right time. And, 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 and it is, because this is the thing about it is, and I had a, I can't remember who told me this, but they were, they said, you, Jarbo, you know the difference between good luck and bad luck? And I was like, uh, no. He says, good luck is, is when you have an opportunity, you realize it, and you take advantage of it. Bad luck is when you, you pass. And it's like, I should have, you know, and, and it really is, is that getting out there and being able and so we were lucky enough to uh unlucky lucky we were probably out with products a year before there was receptivity the good luck is we had product when the market did start opening and then for whatever reason we didn't Overexpand, and by we he may, means his company, which I think your origin story lends itself to what we're talking about here about how hard it was the first year. You and I were talking before we hit the mic. Well, all right. Um, in 2015, nobody made money. 
I mean, just absolutely nobody did. We got out there. The material we grew wasn't that good. Processors didn't show up. And so it was just like, uh. But, you know, here it was. You know, oh God. Part of it also about being stubborn is that you got into it and you thought, well, there's something here I'm not going to give up on. So, you know, and then also, oh, one of the things maybe not talked about, and I know we're kind of digressing here, and, and this is part of the, on that good luck thing, is being able to find people in the industry that are like-minded, that come in early, will stay late, and can rise to the occasion. And I was lucky enough to, uh, to have a person come by name by Lee Crabtree. And between the two of us, we could fill in a lot of the hats that we found out we would have to start to wear. And so we were lucky enough to make relationships with other people who had ability. But that, that's the other thing. I cannot stress enough to people that are wanting to get into the industry you're only as good as the people you work with. And it nobody, you know, like it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to make a successful cannabis company. It really does because there's all these things. It's just like we now, because it is more competitive, we started realizing that we were going to have to start, we were going to have to start doing things different marketing. Here, Billy Hell comes back into my life, who's looking to market, and it's just like, oh, this is cool, because now we, I can go in and start doing some of the other things that I'm going to have to do, but it was only because I knew somebody was highly competent, and, and there's one of the problems, you know, I don't even know if we want to go into it, how do you build a successful cannabis company? Sounds like a podcast. It does. So here we are right now. We're going to wrap this up about where the market is. It's really highly competitive. Prices right now are so low that it's hard to have any sort of real margin. In the growing. In the growing, processing everything. The margins aren't there. Your store, retail stores are hurt because now there are a whole lot more retail stores. Now, what I do believe is going to happen, which happens in every industry, and it's good news, bad news, is there going to be an attrition rate that's going to be horrible? I know for a fact there's a lot of farmers that are sitting on material. They're, they're farmers. If they've got their bins full, they're not going to plant the same crop. So they're not going to do this. It's the same thing with processors. These processors who can't make their nut, they can't pay for the equipment, stuff starts getting repossessed, they're going to go out of business. So there is going to be this consolidation. Prices will bounce back because prices have to be high enough to be able to give the people who grow it and make it a margin to do it. And do it again. Right? Yes. So this is where we are right now. We're, we're at a very, very tough time. But the thing about it is you have to approach this as a business. And I know it's extremely hard to do in today's society, but you have to look at the long term. You have to have a long game in cannabis right now. Because if you're thinking about short-term profits, it's not going to be there. Right now, people have to be nimble and they have to be aware. Because if they make long-term decisions on the right information, it can kill their business. So, 
for anybody wanting to get in the business, start slow. Also, try to at least examine your own life, see what skill sets that you have that you can be able to apply to this. But don't think that you have to go out and have a tractor to be in the cannabis business. I think that's the big takeaway today. There's a lot of different things you can be doing here. So, Billy, until next time, the old hemp farmer is going to say once again, keep your eye on the weather and the other eye on the market. (laughs) All right, y'all. It's been the Full Contact Cannabis Podcast with Billy Hale and the old hemp farmer. We appreciate y'all signing in, listening to what we have to say, and be sure and join us. Like, subscribe, all those things people tell you to do. We'll talk to you on the next one.